What's up, Gin Folk? Welcome to the number one ranked show sponsored by Direct TV Stream. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we got to talk about a top five matchup between Iowa and Penn State. We also got to get into Oklahoma getting over on the University of Texas, but we really have to get started with down goes Alabama. Woo! It is Legends of the Fall, and it's trying to do a little tree shaking, you know what I'm saying? Let's go! It's the number one ranked show. Check this out. I want to lay this on you. You know what we like here? We like accuracy. We like facts. I have facts for you off the top, off the rip. Oklahoma is undefeated. That's one. That's one. All right. Number two. Number two. Alabama is not. These are facts. And in my Kevin Bacon, not crew cut, they are not in dispute. Bama whooped AM. Eight straight times getting work 52-24 by Johnny Football. You know, the last time they won this game before tonight, you know, it was 2012, the Farmers. I asked, was it worth it for them? However, what we saw here today with this 41-38 to victory is nothing short of miraculous because we got so many things we got to go through here, right? A lot of firsts going all right quick. But I got to start with just these facts off the rip. I don't think... It's a ridiculous stat that Alabama hadn't trailed since Georgia last season in this winning streak that they have had, winning national championship 2020, all that. I find it eye-popping, though, that Jimbo Fisher was 21-4 and when scoring first as head coach at Texas A&M. But by the third quarter, with Alabama trailing Texas A&M 24-10, we'd learned... Arkansas's damn good football team. That's kind of a theme throughout this show. They're really good. And when AM was up 31 to 24, I found it kind of eye-popping that Saban is 12 and 12 at Alabama when allowing 30 or more points by an opponent. Hmm, how about that? And then it felt like it was all gonna fall apart for Texas AM late. At a time when Alabama had run something like 45 plays in the second half. We'd only seen a Texas A&M offense for like 10. That Texas A&M defense was on its heels. So much so that they didn't even know how many dudes was on the field and where they were at. Case in point, to go ahead, Jamison Williams, he of the Ohio State, was standing over there on the numbers by himself right from the goal line like, clap, clap, throw me the ball, Bryce. And Bryce clapped. Threw him the ball. And we all looking around going, bruh, is this how AM is going to go out? Y'all really going to go out without covering up the dude because y'all so tired. Y'all don't even know who y'all supposed to be covering on the goal line. And then later, we get to see Bryce Young on his Johnny football, looking like Johnny Manziel. Matter of fact, I want to take a look at the stats right quick so I get these right. Bryce Young was 28 of 48, 369 pass yards, three tutties, one pick, Took four sacks, but was shaky, right? At times, you were like, is this the dude? 
Hadn't really seen an Alabama offensive line get worked the way they was getting worked. To say nothing of Anaya Smith absolutely cooking Brian Branch's grits out there, dog. Like, you got, to, you got to explain that to me. Say nothing of Malachi Moore going out early with targeting penalty. That's your best DB. That matters, right? Meanwhile, Isaiah Spiller, the dude I actually had burnt the flag for, the OGs know what I'm talking about. He was going wild there in the first half. And then we get Zach Calzada, the number two dude on the depth chart, out there looking real Mac Jones all of a sudden. My man finished 21 of 31, 285, three tutties, and a pick. But he got it done. He got them in a field goal range with time expiring. And I swore for Lord. I was like, Lord, please help this Aggie kicker. If he misses this field goal, there will not be a home to go home to. They will burn it down. But you know what? My man did one of these, swerved it right through, and now check this out, check this out, check this out. Going in this game, Nick Saban was 24-0 all time against his former assistants, and he played every last one of them dudes at least twice except Billy Napier. Just getting W's everywhere you look. And ain't nobody caught more L's as a former assistant of Nick Saban than one Jimbo Fisher. And I got to tell y'all, there are a lot of dudes I could see Nick Saban being all right with taking an L from that used to work for him. Except that dude. Except that dude who went down to a Houston caravan this summer and told everybody who would listen, we going to get him before he retires. I swear for the Lord, we going to get him. And we feel like we got a squad. And then Nick Saban did what he always does, like, beat me? Like, it was, it was a real Dom Toretto moment for Nick Saban. Almost had me? You never had me. You never had your car. And then Jimbo Fisher said, not only do I have you, at Kyle Field, where we're going to catch a $250,000 charge. That's just what it's going to be. I got you with the backup quarterback. All I had left on the bench was to walk on. I moved Eli Stovers all the way out to tight end. Meanwhile, Jalen Wattemeyer out there getting it in. I'm telling you, AK out there getting it in. 96 yards back to the house. But it don't end there. It don't end there. Check this out. Nick Saban was a hundred and oh when facing an unranked opponent hadn't lost to an unranked opponent since 2007 where i said louisiana monroe need to hang the banner because they was the last to do it but all y'all out here trying to tell me preseason rankings don't matter remember that remember when we had texas a&m ranked right and it was like preseason rankings out of I bet you think those preseason rankings matter now. Meanwhile, all this transient Saiyan energy is just seeping in, seeping in to Arkansas, seeping in to Mississippi State. It ain't even their final form, baby. We got more to say about Arkansas here in a little bit. I also got to get into this. This is a fact, and it is not in dispute. Because Alabama had once, you know, about 30 minutes ago, had the longest active win streak in the world, Craig, broken, top flight, Craig, we now have a new champion, a new number one. And yes, it is the Oklahoma Sooners, baby. Yes, sir. We go get into them right quick, fast, and in a hurry. Because Oklahoma was dead to the world 
I'm telling you. They was counting y'all out. I was counting y'all out. I was uh, I was roasting myself. Talking about I'm getting cooked in my mentions. My mentions is flooded with Ohio State fans, with Texas fans, with Aggie fans, all trying to get their pound of flesh. Cause my squad, my squad, down 28-7 to the number 21 team in the country. Meanwhile, AM, they not even ranked. Go knock off the number one team in the country. We're gonna have a lot to say about this for the top 25 coming out tomorrow. And we're gonna do a little bit more on it tomorrow in the spaces on the number one ranked show. You wanna be there if you wanna ask some questions about what I'm sure you're gonna wanna argue with me about. But let me take it back to 11 o'clock Central Standard Time. Okay? And then we got, I gotta say, this has been an outstanding day for, for me, like me, me personally, right? I got Deontay Wilder in the ring right now fighting for you and me. I got Oklahoma standing atop a trash heap of one-loss teams, right? And over Texas dead body. But I also got my own, my coach, the way the old folks try to tell me that Barry switches is their coach. My coach, Bob Stoops, 18-0. Iowa 6-0, we'll talk about them in a little bit. Oklahoma 6-0, we're talking about them right now. Kentucky 6-0. Holy smoke, 6-0 for the first time since 1950. But Coach Stoops was in Iowa City beating the big noon desk, watching Kennedy Brooks run Oklahoma to 6-0. Brandon Bevo with the largest comeback victory in the history of the series. Been playing this game 117 times. Ain't never seen no comeback like this. It's OU's best start to a season since the beginning of the 2019 season. 7-0, Jalen Hurts, you know, he was quarterback back then. They took an L to K-State. Guess what? They already got the W against K-State. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo. That's what I'm saying to you. This game, though, OU Texas has had at least 93 points scored in three out of the last four years. Today's 103-point total marks the highest scoring game in OU Texas history, means these teams scored five more points in today's regulation game than last year's teams combined with four overtimes. What I'm saying to you is it's not the Red River Showdown. Mm -mm, no, sir. No, no, ma'am. Mm -mm, no. It is the Red River pew, 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 shootout. Because that's what we be doing. We be scoring on each other. Look, since the Big 12 formed a quarter century ago, 16 of the last 27 games played between Oklahoma and Texas have been when both teams are ranked in the AP poll. At the final whistle, Oklahoma now claims a 12-4 advantage in those games. Texas came in, though, looking like they was going to run up all over Oklahoma. Had 1,035 rush yards through its last three games. It's the most during a three-game stretch dating back to Matt Brown's 2011 season. Now... They had 11-11 during that stretch from October 15, 2011 to November 5, 2011. But the Longhorns, they just finished 8-5 that year, so it ain't necessarily a good thing. Didn't even have a 1,000-yard rusher that season. Their leading rusher that year, dude named Malcolm Brown. My man had 742 yards on the ground 2011. Okay, after five games, sophomore tailback B. John Robinson already had 652 and he would leave OU Texas with a boatload more. But look, Oklahoma riding a 14-game win streak for the longest active win streak in the entire universe. In the world, Craig. Top flight security of the world, Craig. 
they could tie their fourth longest such streak, right, with this one. Now, what I find to be even more interesting about this is that Oklahoma has won 20 straight twice before. It's on the table right now. It's, it's on the table, okay? Now, last time they did that, oh, yeah, it was a national title run from 2000 to 2001, you know? But it was dark before the dawn today, okay? It got, it, it got dark, y'all. In the first two minutes, Texas wideout Xavier Worthy put his palm on Jaden Davis's forehead and made a house call. Spencer Rattler took a sack. An OU punt was blocked. Robinson walked in for six, and I couldn't do 54 minutes of this, man. 58 more minutes of this. I could not do it. In the first three minutes, though, we learned, again, Arkansas's damn good football team, right? That's what I'm saying. Because Texas was up 14-0 on Oklahoma, who, you know, also continues to have that O next to their name. We'll get into that in a second. In the first six minutes, though, 21 points were scored. Means we were averaging better than a point per every minute of this game. And when you look at the 60 minutes and you look at 55 points put up, you, you get what I'm saying. Nine minutes in, Rattler airmailed and overnighted a pick like it had been in Texas hands, or had to be, like yesterday. And I felt like Mike Lowry on the phone calling up his Haitian source, talking about you embarrassed me in front of my people. Because once again, I was getting towed up on the tweets just 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 no mercy y'all was showing me and then in the first 14 minutes of the first quarter i ain't gonna lie i was still getting cooked on the twitters but it was also 28 7 so i was cooking myself right everybody pulling out my receipts on my national title pick this dude picked oklahoma yes he did and the offerings at the fair look just as deep fried as my picks but this comeback it's Greek, it's Latin, it's Roman. What I'm saying is it's classic. But Texas, you were up 28-7 and still held this L in your home state where your mama stay. Oklahoma came from 21 down and is still wearing that ugly golden hat crown. But here are four things we learn from this game. Number one. Spencer Rattler might might have started his last game as an OU quarterback family. Like, it's looking that, that dire for your man. On a fourth and one, though, true freshman quarterback Caleb Williams went 66 yards to the house on the first snap of the game for him. Full credit to Rattler, though, for real. That dude has every reason to feel people are coming for his job because most of y'all are. And he was continuing to do everything he could to try to win. And then my man put the ball on the ground again. And then after flirting with it on fourth and one, and officially, look, officially, Rattler got the hook. Second quarter. Against Texas for the second straight year. You couldn't have drawn that up. Look, just as rough, Oklahoma was down 35-20 with just over a minute left in the first half. And Oklahoma had put up an identical number of yards as Texas, 290, which is my point is saying, like, it really was about the turnovers. Rattler throwing it away, putting it on the ground. The punt was blocked. These are inflection points. These matter. But Oklahoma had a luxury, had an ace in the hole up his sleeve. It's called a five-star quarterback. His name is Kayla Williams. Look, what I'm saying is with the recruiting and development receipts, Riley has convinced five-star quarterbacks to join other five-star quarterbacks just at the right time. Think about this. Last year, QB2 is Tanner Mordecai. That dude is starting for an undefeated Southern Methodist team. Okay? They 6-0 too. Last year's QB3, 
Chandler Morris. He back it up, Max Duggan, who just ran it up with Texas Christian on Texas Tech. Just think where Oklahoma might be if Caleb Williams had chosen anybody else other than OU. The answer is probably transfer Micah Bowens, who comes from Penn State, who, yeah, all right, maybe you like, but I don't think you want to turn the keys to this offense over to that dude in a game of this magnitude with an undefeated season on the line. That's what I'm saying. The question after Rattler got the hook wasn't whether or not he should come back in, but whether or not Rattler might have played his last snap, started quarterback at OU. And I got to say, barring some Williams stuff, shenanigans, it don't look like it's going to happen because that dude was magnificent in relief. He showed more poise than a poolside porpoise saying, sup. He finished with three TDs, 300 yards total, rushing and passing, a legendary moment at the only game many OU fans, myself included, say you have to win. Matter of fact, I'm on the phone with producer Cat going, you know what? This really is the game that matters the most to me because I was beside myself in an empty room by myself. But what does this mean for Spencer Rattler's future? Number one, my number one pick for the 2022 draft ain't looking too good, okay? He looks less like a number one overall pick than any other quarterback that I have ever entertained in that position presently. And it's hard to be the number one overall pick when you're not even the number one overall pick on your own damn team. It's just tough. Is the portal a way to go? We still got half a season left. And I don't imagine Spencer Rattler's the kind of dude to throw his name in the portal in the middle of the season. Come the end of the season, that'll be an interesting discussion to have, okay? Because we've seen other dudes leave for less, especially if Caleb Williams ends up leading Oklahoma, not just to an undefeated season, just an undefeated October. Because Oklahoma has not been undefeated through the month of October since 2004. Homie, I was 16. I'm a 34-year-old grown-ass man, dog. It's been a while. If Williams can do that, we're going to be all right. Now, the knives have been out for my man Spencer Rattler since West Virginia. Y'all ain't been treating that man fairly. Y'all booing the man at a home game. The man was nearly crying on the sideline, and yet he's still out there throwing himself in front of people trying to hurt him for you. And all you can come up with is that dude is trash. I can't get on with you on that, man. I know how hard this game is to play. I can't do that. All right, number two thing that we finished with. B. John Robinson ought to get a Heisman ceremony invitation. Okay? B. John rhymes with Dijon because my man is all sauce. He averaged 6.9 yards per carry this afternoon, and he rushed for nearly 800 yards through six games. He had 93 yards rushing on eight carries through a quarter and a half. In fact, he looked as good as he did last season. This summer, though, I asked Steve Sarkeesian, what is going to stop him from handing the ball to Bijan 400 times this year? And here's what he said. We talk about the quarterback often because it's such an important position for the sport and I understand how it drives conversation, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, even after putting up 50 a game at Alabama, putting four guys at skill positions into the draft, what's going to stop you from handing the guy seven yards deep a ball 400 times a game? 
Well, that's that's a huge component actually to who we are and what we're about offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never not had a year when I called plays in college football when I didn't have a thousand yard rusher. Mm-hmm. So we believe in running the ball first um, because ultimately we believe in the play action pass. I think the play action pass is a quarterback's best friend and play action passes work a lot better when you're running the ball well and you've got to commit yourself to defending the run. And so uh, we believe in running the ball um, and we've got an excellent one in B. John Robinson. Um, we've got some tremendous other, you know, complimentary runners back there and Roshan Johnson, Keelan Robinson now on board. Um, so ultimately, you know, our really our offense starts there with that guy that's seven and a half yards behind the quarterback or next to him in nowadays mm-hmm. football, but also throwing them the ball, getting them the ball in their hands in space to do what they do really well, and that's make people miss and, and you know, matriculate the ball down the field to ultimately score. And that was what Bijan Robinson looked really good at doing in the first half. But Oklahoma didn't so much put the clamps on him in the second as much as Steve Sarkeesian stopped feeding him. He finished with 20 carries for 137 yards, which means his streak is broken. Streak I'm talking about. Texas had been undefeated when Robinson rushed for 100 yards or more. And this game, you know, that's only true because it got squirrely as hell. Look, I'm telling you, that man is a Heisman Trophy candidate, full stop. The third thing we learned, Casey Thompson and Xavier Worthy are an absolute tandem. Look. Xavier Worthy, proven Oklahoma secondary is not. That man set a freshman receiving record, nine catches, 261 yards in a game where he was the catalyst for this classic. I'm telling you, that dude is next level elite. I got nothing but respect for it. Just over there cooking Jaden Davis like grits. Look, and Casey Thompson hit 20 of 34 for 388 passing yards with five TDs. I couldn't ask more from my starting quarterback at Texas. Outstanding by all three of those cats. All right, but the fourth thing we learned, Brooks was here. Kennedy Brooks was on his Shawshank Redemption because, baby, again I say, Brooks was here. He went and got a win with a 33-yard rush to finish him Mortal Kombat style with three seconds left to play. Rushed for 217 yards on 25 carries in the game of his life and mine, since we're talking about games of lives, and in a game where Rattler was rattled, the defense was getting ripped asunder by, again, Thompson and Worthy. Brooks was here, though. He became the first OU 200-yard rusher since Trey Sermon ran over the Red Raiders for 206 yards and the first versus Texas since Samaj P. Ryan in 2016 went for 214. Brooks had his second three-touchdown game of his career. He also had, you know, a couple dents Oklahoma State. He finished with a career high, again, 217 rush yards, which again is an OU fourth best individual rushing performance against Texas. Shout out my buddy Cliff Brunt at the AP for this stat. Top five rushing yards against Texas by any player. My man, Demond Parker, 1997 at 291. He is from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Tulsa boys absolutely smack, okay? The short king elite, Quentin Griffin, went for 248 in 2002. 
Adrian Peterson, the bionic man himself, 225, 2004. Brooks, 217. Today, right, right, just hours ago. And then the dude that the old heads love to tell me about. Greg Pruitt, 1971, 216 yards. Dog, that was 50 years ago. Y'all can leave me alone about whatever it was that Greg Pruitt was doing. I wasn't around. Look, Brooks sat out the 2020 season due to COVID. And heading into this season, he was one of just two scholarship tailbacks ready and eligible to play to start the season. Transfer Trey Bradford wanted to transfer after a month on campus. I don't get it. Seth McGowan got booted off the team. So did Mikey Henderson. Marcus Major began the season ineligible to play. And Oklahoma didn't really know what it had in Eric Gray. Save an outstanding spring game performance. And Tennessee tape, no one was sure would translate. Had Brooks not been ready-made, OU might not be bowl eligible after six weeks of football. Finally, I invite you, sir, ma'am, leave a comment in the stream if your team is also bowl eligible at six weeks of football. Woo! It's a good day. It's a doggone good day. All right. In other games we play on this doggone good day, Big Noon had what on paper is the best game of the day. Number three, Iowa, defeating Penn State at Duke Slater Field. Final score was 23-20. to 20, And WWE champion Big E nailed it when he was asked by the Big Noon crew for his score prediction. We need a prediction. I think I know what you're doing, but we need a prediction. Who wins and why? Hawks by a million. We need a prediction. Hawks by a million. Three points is just enough. Look, Penn State is 10 and 6 in its last 16 trips to Kinnick, but the Nittany Lions are just 11 and 11 against Iowa since joining the Big Ten. And in the last 10 games that Penn State has played, four and seven when the Nittany Lions and their opponent are ranked inside the AP top five. Check this out. The Nittany Lions haven't beaten a top five team when they were also ranked in the top five since 1999 when they knocked off, I kid you not, number four, Arizona, 41 to seven at State College. What I'm saying is Camilla Cabello was right. Something's got to give, something's got to break, but all I do is give, and all you do is take. Yes, I'm still talking about Iowa-Penn State. This while, the Hawkeyes not only lead the FBS and INTs to start the season with 12, but have beaten their last five ranked opponents and put up more than 50 last week against Maryland. Y'all must have forgot Roy Jones Jr. not there. For the first time since, you know, November 17, 2018 against Illinois. Also, Nobody has scored more than 24 on Iowa since November 23rd, 2018. All right? We know that Jahan Dotson was a dude. Walked into Kinnick, leading the Big Ten in catches with 35 and receiving TDs with six. But he only had eight catches of 48 yards today. Well, there was a big reason for that. Sean Clifford goes down with an injury that is undisclosed in the first half of the game. He was in street clothes by halftime after suffering whatever that was. And we all hope that he's going to be okay. But Taquan Roberson, 
took over in the first half and had a 17-10, excuse me, 17 to 10 lead at Kinnick to work with. Riley Moss suffered an injury while picking off his fourth pass this season. That dude is absolutely a Reggie Cleveland all-star, a Sean Kilpatrick all-star. And the Hawkeyes end up with four interceptions in this game? Like, come on, dog. What are we even doing here? Clifford and Roberson combined for all four of those picks and zero touchdowns. Not a zip. Zilch. The Hawkeyes, with 16 interceptions in six games, are off to a 6-0 start for the first time since 2015. It's never looked more like Iowa will represent the Big Ten West in the league title game against, perhaps, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Number 7 Ohio State stopped a 66-17 mud hole in Maryland and walked it dry. The Buckeyes have won every game they played against Maryland since the Terps had the audacity to join the Big Ten. And they have stunted while they have done it. Coming into this game, they were averaging 58.3 points per game against Maryland and winning by an average of 36 points per game. Both of those going to go up a little after this game. Ohio State looks even more like a team that should have beat Oregon. You lost to Oregon. We're not going to let it go. Here we are, though. Number nine, Michigan held on to beat Nebraska 32-29. Nebraska had a shot to win this with a score that was knotted at 29 and three minutes left to play. And then poor Adrian Martinez got his cookie stolen trying to get more than he should have. I felt so bad for him. I felt so bad for Nebraska. I felt so bad for Scott Frost. He finished 18 of 28 for 291 through the air with three tutties and a pick. That also had a fumble to go along with it to set up what was the winning field goal for the Wolverines. Jackson State transferred Dalen Baldwin, caught six passes for 64 yards. Blake Quam and Hassan Haskins combined for 212 rush yards and 34 attempts for three TDs. Like, they was absolutely running the ball. But Dax Hill, Tulsa's own Dax Hill, made a play to seal the win, and he is the best natural football player I've ever seen with my own two eyes live. And yes, I have seen Kyler Murray play football live. Plus, Dax is from Tulsa, and Tulsa boys absolutely smack. Now, number 11, Michigan State. Whomped Rutgers 31-13. Hello. Running back Kenneth Walker, the third, had 233 rush yards on 29 rush attempts. Peyton Thorne passed 339 on 16-27 to with three tutties and a pick. And then Jalen Naylor had just five catches for 221 yards, dog. And they had four tutties of at least 60 yards or more against what was formerly a very stingy Rutgers defense. If Michigan State beats Indiana next week, and they should, the Spartans will be 7-0 heading into their game against Michigan, where I hope and pray Michigan is still, you know, on the level, ready to give us a game. Okay, but the Big Ten has a big note here. You have a 2014 Big 12 problem. Allow me to elaborate. What held the Big 12 back during that year wasn't that they didn't have great teams. Baylor, Texas Christian, they were really good. It was that they had to change up their whole steez because they learned the hard way. Y'all will do whatever is possible to keep one 
or both of those teams out of a playoff. I don't know whose idea it was to have a four-team invitational when you have five power conferences, but here we are, which is to say, you may have an undefeated Michigan. You may have an undefeated Michigan State. You may have an undefeated in the Big Ten, Ohio State. You may have an undefeated Iowa. You may have a Penn State that manages to knock off an Ohio State, get into a Big Ten championship game. But what you will not have is two teams in the college football playoff because y'all are going to make like the Donner Party and eat each other alive. This can't go on. I'm saying no. Expand this playoff to 16 teams so you get as many of your squad in as should be in. But no, you want to keep telling me about how a 16-team playoff waters down your little college football sport. Man, you're talking about, look, I watched the pregame lead-in to Nebraska and Michigan, and all anybody had to sell was the 900 wins they had before. Nothing about what they've done in the last five years because they ain't done nothing in the last five years. But I had to watch a young, cherubic Scott Frost implore AP voters to vote for Nebraska to win the 97 National Championship, and nothing is more obscene to me than having to stop for votes for a national championship when all we would have to do is build an apparatus where you turn the Invitational into a tournament where the scoreboard can survive and can call who is the national champion. I can't stand this, man. These boys work too hard for dudes in suits, smoking cigars, sitting on their couches at home to tell me who they think is the best team in the country. That said, Georgia's the best team in the country. Number two, Georgia whomps number 18, Auburn, 34-10 at Jordan-Hare. Look, quite as kept, this is the longest-running rivalry in SEC history, stretching back to 126 games. UGA had won last seven out of eight and held Auburn to 14 or fewer points in each win. Shocker, that holds up this time. Heading in this game, Georgia had only allowed 23 points total all year. It's the fewest allowed by an FBS team through five games since 93 Florida State had allowed, I kid you not, just 14 total. Somehow Bo Nix had the longest active streak without an INT at 247 straight passes at kickoff today. And his personal best, 250, he set that between 2019 and 2020. But Auburn went and got cooked by Stetson Bennett, a dude who did a bid at Georgia and then had to do a bid at JUCO before coming back to be the third string dude and then the second string dude at UGA. That dude hit 14 to 21 for 231 with two tutties on Auburn. And that Bo Nix INT streak, Georgia blew it up. Meanwhile, Bennett still has time to go do my taxes. Look, number two Georgia has beaten three top 25 teams by a combined score of 81 to 13 through six games they are balling i still have tremendous questions about whether or not they can throw the ball on people but it might not matter if nobody can score number 17 Ole miss won a classic against number 13 arkansas 52 51 with the game on the line first question i got from producer cat that i need to address why did my man's sam Pittman go for two and the win with no time left Simple. 
This was a back and forth game where it felt like the team that had the ball last was going to win. And guess who had the ball last in regulation? Arkansas. You kick a field goal there, you were saying we want to go into overtime. You're saying that, okay, cool, we don't feel confident about what we can do on the two-yard line. Sam Pittman wasn't going out like that. Wasn't going out like no chump, all right? He put the ball in the hands of K.J. Jefferson, who had been doing yeoman's work all game, and decided, no, we're going to win or we're going to lose on our terms. This time, it didn't go their way, okay? I thought that for sure they were going to say to K.J., go straight up the gut, go for it. No, they had him roll out. He overthrew a pass. Ole Miss wins this game. Reminded me of North Carolina and Clemson about 2018, you know, Mac Brown called the speed option for the two-point play. Sam Howell ain't get in there. And then we get Clemson doing what they're doing. The worst part about that story is Mac Brown divulged to the rest of us that, you know, your mans had to deal with the grandchild asking Papa why he went for two. I hope Sam Pittman doesn't have to do the same thing. All right. So outside of learning that Ole Miss is a good football team and Arkansas – is a good football team. I'm also getting even more respect for the SEC West because as I mentioned at the top, you got an A&M team that took an L to an Arkansas team that beat Alabama that might get the transitive energy from that win for their Arkansas come up. Yeah, my rankings is going to get some work tonight. We're going to be up late. Boise State also upset number 10, Brigham Young, 26-17. to Boise State forced four turnovers in the Bronco upset victory over BYU. It was Boise State's first win against a top 10 team in 11 years. This despite BYU quarterback Jaron Hall throwing for a career high 302 yards with a TD in his return. And the Cougars outgained Boise State by 99 total yards, 413 to 312. Excuse me, that's 101. That's not 99. And this despite Boise State trailing BYU 20 to 10 at halftime. Feels like this might be significant to my top 25 rankings coming out tomorrow. Round about 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I'm going to host a Spaces on the number one ranked show Twitter account at noon Eastern, 11 Central, 10 a.m. Pacific time. If you want to talk about those rankings with me. And as one of my favorite hosts would say, I am not backing down from anybody, but it ain't that kind of show. It is an explanation. I expect to sing Kumbaya with you. I expect to see people engage in good faith. That is the purpose. Let's talk about methodology. Let's talk about winners and losers. Let's talk about what might happen. And let's go through why and how I actually laid these things out. I plan to show up in good faith. I hope you will too. That's our show for today. The number one ranked show is hosted by me, RJ Young. Thank you to our sponsor, DirecTV Stream. Our lead producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Chris Cheshire is running the stream. Our social media manager is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn. Our editor is Etang Tejano. And our executive producer is the esteemed Kristen Herlihy. That is it for me. Deuces. <laughs>